Enlighten Me, the podcast everyone is talking about with your host, Julian, where wisdom, knowledge, and experience meet the public. And we're live. This is your host, Julian, on Enlighten Me, podcast after podcast. Before we get started, uh, if you can go ahead and subscribe and rate and share. Please, again, subscribe, rate, and share. This helps uh, the podcast and the algorithm push it to the top. That's what we're aiming for. Uh, if you have any questions or you want to hop on one, just email me at enlightenmejulian at gmail.com. Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon Music, 22 platforms total. YouTube, we got some videos. Huh? We're trying to get some more videos out there. And uh, 102 countries now. And we just hit 10K. And I will say, I keep forgetting to say this, that... Uh, in the beginning, that's an ad. Finally got my ads again. Making a little bit of money. It's a little fun. So I'm learning and doing something I like. And uh, you guys know what the topic is. So, oh, you know, we always got to shout out to business. So I do do personal training online now. It's pretty fair. Uh, you know, I can't argue with that. Everybody's trying to get their summer bods thick and slim waist and big booty. And those who are trying to get muscles, I got you, I got you, I got you. But uh, before we get started, thank you for joining me on Enlighten Me. If you could briefly uh, introduce yourself. Hi, uh, thank you for having me. My name is Jim Andrews. I'm a former special agent with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Um, after I uh, left military service, I got into protecting uh, government programs, classified programs, and uh, the physical and programmatic security of those. And I've been doing that for the last uh, 20 years. Please, you, you uh, joining me on Enlighten Me. Uh, I know we were talking, how, how do we, oh, our uh, men's group, intellectual gentleman. Yeah, you reached right out, and I want to thank you again. Well, no problem. It's uh, my pleasure. I I feel like I've uh, worked in security for a long time, and I, I want to do what I can to help. Yes, I think this does need to be talked about. I know um, I did one already with, um, what was it, gun violence, so this kind of ties into it, but mass shootings. Um, hopefully we can shed some light, some insight on those, and maybe stop a perpetrator or anything of that nature. So what is going on with these mass shootings? Like, there's an uptick since 2022 uh, after COVID about. What, what do you think is going on? Well, um, just like most crime in general, um, there's a lot of people that um, are dealing with issues. You know, people commit crimes for a lot of different reasons, um, either a need, a necessity they have, or in a lot of cases, they they feel like they they have no hope, so they, it's, a, it's a mental health issue. And when you look at especially the mass shootings that have happened, and um, this, recent one was this recent one was a perfect example, um, this woman had been going through mental health crisis for quite a while. Um, whether it's, you know, I don't want to contribute anything to her transgender, it's, it's just people have mental health issues. Um, people, you know, straight people, gay, lesbian people, transgender people, there's a lot of mental health issues. And people have found out um, over the last you know, two decades or so, three decades, that this is some way to deal with your mental health in a kind of a, a twisted way. They've, they've kind of normalized this as a, a mental health outlet. And it's something that uh, really has to be dealt with at a, at a, at a bigger level than just the, the actual shootings. Yeah, that, that was one of the questions I was talking to my uh, the other guy about. What can we do? Because, you know, mental health evals, I think it's easier to obtain a gun than a, yeah, a gun 
or a weapon, whatever you guys want to classify as, than a driver's license. Well, that's, you know, there's some, some truth to that. You know, I, I, I will freely admit being a former police officer, I, you know, I am a gun guy. I do, you know, enjoy, you know, uh, you know, going to shooting and stuff, but guns, while it seems like they're easier to get there, there are a lot of places where it's, it's not necessarily the case. And there's still a lot of gun violence. Take your, your bigger cities, your New York, your Chicago, your DC, there's, they have very strict gun laws, but yet some have some of the worst, you know, homicide rates. So when you when you have an issue that it doesn't seem to change when you put those kind of factors in in place, there's there's something deeper going on. I don't you know I don't want to abstain to say you know or absolve you know guns you know people who sell guns to to felons or to people with mental health issues. I don't want to absolve them of any wrongdoing because I believe they should be held accountable. But uh, sometimes it's just a, a determined person finding a way, and it's merely a tool. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> I'm a man. Uh, I'm a man. Uh, man of God, and I, I was saying, uh, you know, what was it? What was that? I forgot the daggone meme. I'll have to come back to that one. So, do you think that uh, people are laughing right now? Do you think that with these, with the COVID kind of transcended? The mental health issue do you, do you think COVID had a huge deal with that oh i un, unbelievably so you know um you know one of the one of the things about you know mental health especially when you look at depression or some of your your other anxiety-based mental health issues they're exacerbated by loneliness so you take a person that is depressed and they want to be lonely because they're depressed well being lonely makes them more depressed so it's kind of a, a you know what we say in the military self licking ice cream cone it just destroys itself um and we didn't see people the way we normally see people so there's less people to check on you and say hey you know are you all right are you doing okay you don't seem like yourself very recently and we're we're kind of hyper involved with ourselves now um you know we oh, we don't reach out the way we used to you know you say it yeah you're a man of god you know, I could tell you my day growing up, if I wasn't at church one Sunday, somebody was coming looking for me, whether it was, you know, whether it was somebody from the church or just a, a friend at the church. But somebody always came to check on me to make sure I was okay. We don't do that as a society anymore. We don't, we don't look out for our fellow man. And so mental health issues are sometimes going, you know, unnoticed by those people who could actually help the most. Well, would you agree that I think four out of five people, uh, Four out of five people know of a person who may commit a crime with a weapon. Oh, definitely. I, you know, I would I would think that number is probably higher. If you if you can't think of someone in your life that would commit a crime, you're not thinking very hard. Because and it also depends on the situation. I know people who wouldn't normally commit crimes, but if you put them in the right situation, oh yeah, they're they're going to. So, um, you know, enough. You know, if you have enough. Um, ill will towards yourself actually is you know it's it, there's a lot of these people you know i was it reminds me of a story i was reading in psychology today a couple of weeks ago and it was talking about the three things you need to to really care about life life in general your life other people's lives just value life and one of the three things they said um that that was important was is a person enjoying life 
because people who aren't enjoying life they feel hopeless that life takes on a negative value and and suicide or sometimes even homicide is preferable to the continued struggle and mm -hmm. you know, i know looking at uh, some of the stuff that's come out from this nashville shooter she she left kind of a manifesto and some suicide letters and she was she she wasn't a criminal as much as she was a, a trauma victim she was she was hurt and we i don't want to you know obviously take up for a criminal yeah, but, from it. yeah i got but you. but that doesn't just because she created she she actually committed a horrendous action doesn't mean she wasn't also a victim of some sort of trauma so if people aren't seeking help they're going through things and they the first thing they do is lash out to hurt others i i i'm not a psychology major and i don't know much about it but how does how does that partake in okay i'm i'm I'll just say for back letter terms, uh, I'm jacked up, so let me go jack other people. I don't, I can't see the correlation between those two. Well, there's there, there's hurt a couple people of, hurt people. Yeah, I guess I guess yeah, I, hurt people hurt people. That is that is true. And and when people, you know, um, I, I am not a psychology major either. My my wife actually is, and she's she's spent a lot of time trying to teach me because I'm a a proud father of six children. And four of which were adopted out of the foster care system. So uh, they were damaged children. So I've spent the last uh, you know, 13 years learning as much about trauma and trauma treatment as I can to help my children. Oh, wow. And these people are, the, these people that commit these crimes, they, they, they're hurt and they want to hurt others. And usually when that takes the case of, of one extreme or the other, you know, usually you hurt the people you're closest to because you know that no matter what you do to them, they're going to be there for you. Your children lash out at their parents because they know mom and dad's going to be there for them. So they can take the abuse and then still love their child. You know, that's, mm. it's, it's kind of a twisted way to think about it, but it's true. Or you, you lash out at the people who have caused you harm. You know, um, the, the kid, the boys from Columbine were bullied, you know, incessantly for a number of different things. And they actually, even before they committed their crime, they had listed names of people they wanted to hurt before that because they wanted revenge. They wanted, they wanted to get retribution against those bullies. Do you think that, um, so I would say it's, it's a lot, it's, it's, was it gun violence now? It's like the number one killer of children from what, one to 18? I believe that's true. I haven't researched that statistic to find out what all they're 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 including in that because you know of the I think there's forty two thousand forty three thousand ish gun deaths last year, but when you take oh, yeah. suicides out of it, it's down to thirteen thousand. So I mean, suicides are more or less sixty to sixty five percent every year. So then you have a number that needs to be broken down more. There's, you know, accidental. I saw one in the newspaper not too long ago. A, a boy grabbed a firearm that was loaded and accidentally shot his little brother. He was, I think he was five or six. You know, it was definitely not intentional. It was just, in my opinion, very careless parents. You know, I think I saw a video like that. Well, it was with a, with a little girl. She shot the little boy in the bathroom. And, oh, man, she shot herself after that. It was I don't know why I was on Facebook in the first place, but yeah, that's what that's crazy. It's crazy. Like, I have weapons and I have a little one, so he's not going to find these weapons. He's there's no possible, no, it's no possible, and he is. He's uh, 
12 this this month but you got to be careful with these even if you yourself you have now man don't get me on tangent well this you know but uh you know another thing to look at is you know guns themselves um home ownership or excuse me home percentages that actually own the firearm have steadily went down since the 70s you know i'm I am 44. I grew up in a house with guns. A shotgun was by the door, but I was taught about it at a very early age. And you know, and if I would have touched it, I would have been punished, you know, severely. And you know, as I should have been. Yes. So, so just being around guns and the access to guns doesn't seem to me, at least on the on the the data level, seem to be a, a driving or con- or contributing factor. Because you know, less homes own guns. Now, there's more guns, period, because gun people usually have many more than they need. But you know, less kids have access to them, you know, statistically. So there's there's something going on outside of just the guns. I'm you know, I'm for very smart and responsible gun ownership and I I'm appreciative of I believe this um the gentleman that uh, I wanna say it was in Minnesota. Uh, it, was, it was last year, one of the, the school shootings last year, and the parents are being charged because they actually bought the child the gun and he had access to the gun. And I think that is phenomenal. I think that is definitely direction we need to go. If you're careless with a gun and give it to someone who is you know, mentally unstable or not of age or not of proper training to handle it, then you are, in my opinion, you are, you know, culpable for what happened with that firearm. Yeah, you seriously got to be careless. Like, leave it loaded. Let's put it on top of the or underneath the nightstand, underneath the bed. Like, come on now. That that's so easy for a child to reach that. And, and, and children see everything. Whether you yes, think they that. do. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> yeah, that's so. Uh, so what was it? You, I can't say it's you. You You Yes, you There it is. What, what you've been in law enforcement, why did those officers, I'm guessing they had an elaborate plan, why were those officers waiting to go inside the school? I, I wish I could tell you. From Is the information st- I've seen, yes, there was no reason for them to wait outside. Um, so if you want to go back to Columbine, Columbine was really the, the start of yeah. the, the mass shootings at schools. Um, that was, uh, I want to say 97, 98. I'm sorry, it's, it's right around there, late 90s. And these two gentlemen went into a school and they were in there for quite some time. I want to say over an hour. If I, you know, I, I don't want to misquote that, but it was, it was um, well over an hour. I want to say hour and 20 minutes, hour and 40 minutes, something, something outrageous. And, um, the, the police response at that time was to treat it as a hostage situation. Yeah. So you surround the building, you call a hostage negotiator, and they come and try to talk the person into a, a, you know, a surrender situation where they come out and give themselves up. And last, the last option is to go in with force because you, the thought was if you go in with force, that's when they will start shooting people. But Columbine changed that. Columbine showed us that you when when especially when children's lives are online every second is precious so after columbine police training completely changed on active shooter situations and it was you don't even wait for backup you if you're first one there you go in and you you 
keep going in until you stop the threat. And that's what has happened to my knowledge on every one of these shootings up until the Uvalde shooting. And I'm not sure why they did not. Um, I, I wish I could. I, don't, I hate to second guess other law enforcement officers because I wasn't yeah. on the ground. Yeah, I but that. I, in my mind, I cannot think of a logical, realistic, and quite frankly, good enough reason for them not to. Didn't a gentleman from across the street run in there? I, I believe so. He ran it or tried to run in, and they threatened to arrest him. There was there was some controversy on. Oh on man, I saw that. I saw that. You know, and if it's my child, and I know a lot of people like that, they would have had to shoot me because I was going in. If they were, oh yeah, and, oh yeah. But I, I honestly, I've I've talked about it. my my wife is former law enforcement. We've had many discussions about this, and we cannot come up with a reason why they did not go in. There's there's. It, to me, it's it's there's something that is completely um, unexplainable in that situation. I think some it's probably, and I'm not validating people probably you know on social media these days. I think there's they were waiting on some type of order, and that person looked at that person, that person looked at that person, uh, and nothing happened. So they're like, well, we'll wait till something happens to get an order from somebody, and then I guess no, but nothing. Of course, nothing happens still. Well, I, I've heard that also, and um, I can tell you, I mean, is this very well could be a small police department that never did actual training for active shooter, but every active shooter drill that I know of um, since Columbine is the, they train you to, when you get there, you go in. You, there's no waiting on orders, but, you know, we... You know, people in general, you know, you're, you're a trainer, muscle memory. You know, you get into the habit of doing something. If they were trained to wait on an order, I could see them, you know, kind of paralyzing in that moment and doing that. But that would be training that was outdated by probably 20 to 25 years. So it, it might be a situation of bad training or no training. And, and that would be something that would definitely be need to be looked at. But um, in the law enforcement community, it's pretty well known to, to everyone you speak to. You, you don't wait around on an active shooter. You don't wait for permission. You, you go. You think you, you get there. Are you familiar with the bystander effect? You think that probably kicked in? Um, after a while, it could have possibly had something. You know, you're, you're so kind of paralyzed by the overwhelmingness of the situation. I mean, I'm not sure if overwhelmingness is a word, but, you know, that kind of situation is, is something that, you know, very few people can say, I've been in that situation and this is how I acted. You know, it's not something that a normal person would ever experience. And um, you would think, you know, Something you learn in law enforcement is that you will experience so much more um, traumatic situations than the average person. I believe the last statistic I saw, the, the average person experiences two to three really traumatic events that they witness mm. you know, in, in person in our lifetime. And the average police officer is somewhere around 700. And when you think about that, you, you would think a person that has experienced that much uh, that many situations that have that kind of trauma, they would not freeze at that moment. But 
shooting of children is completely different than anything anybody's prepared to deal with you know, mentally. You know, so uh, again, I don't want to you know second guess their actions, but even with giving them the the maximum benefit of the doubt, I do not see a situation where they should not have went in. Hmm. Okay, and then that yeah that and then those who are interested in the bystander effect, just look up the murder of Kitty Genovese and uh, take it from there. Okay, so what is what do you? We talked about some avenues that we can probably take to try to slow it down. You, I'm not sure if you heard what DeSantis is doing right now. He's allowing people to conceal without permits to try to slow down, <laughs> slow down shootings. Well, um. Not sure uh, if I told you, I'm actually, I have recently moved to Florida. Hey, so yeah. um, I moved to Florida in two, uh, see, two months ago. My wife and I um, decided to move to Orlando. And so we're here um, and actually had several conversations about that. I um, am probably in the minority among police officers. I'm not a fan of what they call constitutional carry. Mm. Um, uh, and and that's what DeSantis is trying to do there. Well, what he signed, the bill he signed is oh, yeah, he signed you can carry based on just the fact that you're an American and that's the second amendment. And you ha don't have to ask the government for permission or pay money. I want my money and, back. <laughs> and <laughs> I believe now this, I saw the number where Florida is now the 26th state to allow that. And I so I know that actually. So now the majority of the country is actually a constitutional carry, you know, situation and gun laws are are tricky they're hard to decipher the data behind oh, when yeah, you look, when you look at um, places that have uh, very strict gun laws some of you know, your chicago your dc they have very bad gun violence and you look at some of the places where they have very open laws say uh, you know vermont or new hampshire and they have very little gun violence well that could be the guns. There could be they have no people. When you have no people, it's hard to commit violence against them. So, you know, people can kind of look at those statistics and say, well, you know, guns are the problem, or they can say, you know, guns aren't the problem. And nobody really has stopped to to really evaluate the the multifaceted look at it. You know, it's it's not a situation where the gun is the only problem. They're like I said, there's a, a lot of problems. You know, mental health is a big one. Yeah. You know, gang violence. Gang. You know, when you the, when you brought up earlier about most kids are killed, I would love to see that statistic, that study broken out into how much of that is is gang related. Because oh yeah, definitely. When you look at a city like Chicago, I I, I want to say, and please don't you know, don't hold me to this number, but I I think it's more than sixty percent of their their gun violence is gang related and so well no gun law in the world is going to slow down gang violence it's not something that that laws really affect it's something that needs to start in the home with you know two-parent households and things like that and that's how you get away from kids looking for you know that outreach for gangs you know when they've studied how to keep kids off gangs it starts in the home it doesn't start with banning guns yeah like children living in poverty in urban and rural areas usually are more prone to gun violence than their yeah. fluent peers. So I, I definitely believe that. So it's it's 
it's not something where you know any I, I, f- I firmly believe anyone who tells you they have a, a fix for our, our gun violence solution in this country and mental health um, treatment for the for the masses isn't number one or two on their list. You should probably talk to other people because until we figure out how to make people well mentally, we're going to have violence and guns are like not they're acce- they're accessible to a lot of people who should not have them. You know, via legally or illegally, and without addressing the mental health issues, it, you're kind of you know just shooting in the dark. Pardon the the horrible pun. No, no, I, and that's that's what I was talking to uh, my sister about. She said, um, of course, mental health, but some some people seem and deem to be sane, and maybe something traumatic happens or. You know, there, there's so many different things that can happen after the fact that they buy this weapon or gun or weapon. And I, I think that's hard to determine. Like, okay, yeah, this person was fine. This person, they volunteered at homeless shelters, yada, yada, yada. And now whatever happened to them traumatized them. And now they're acting out and lashing out. As you see that last female that was shooting. I can't get the gender right. The female that was shooting. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, trauma. You know, when you, when you look at certain communities, you know, whether that be uh, mostly mostly poor communities, regardless of 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 race, or you know, poor communities, when they when they look at trauma response, you have certain things that come along with trauma response. You have uh, sexual promiscuity. You have drug use. You have you know father absence in the home, all of those things come with and are pretty standard for a trauma response. Oh, yeah. And so you have groups of people that have trauma exposure, um, sometimes categorically along their entire you know, livelihood from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. It's nothing but you know, parents arguing or drug use around them or violence in the schools or violence on TV, violence in the news. And that's going to affect a person. So when you take a bunch of trauma-filled people and then you add in, you know, all of the social issues we're going through now as a country, it's it, it's a it's a it's not a prescription for for safety. It's it's something that is going to have very horrible incidents. And I see that, especially the Las Vegas shooting. What I think it was almost fifty. Fifty-eight people were killed. I'm, I'm not sure of the number, but it was it was were horrible. Yeah, it was this this person, um, and you know, it's the whole conspiracy in itself. Too. <laughs> that after a fact, there's, uh, to my knowledge, to a person, everyone that has committed one of these crimes, um, one of these mass shootings, there's somebody afterwards says, "Oh yeah, I I knew that person was going to do this." Yep. And they never yep. said a word. Yeah. So, you know, I I'm not sure how to address that. Uh, I I I'm not sure how to get people to to stand up because no one wants to. Now think of your child. You know, if you thought your child was capable of this, one, you're probably never gonna think your child is capable of this. You've raised them, you've seen them, you've yep. you know what they've been through. What parent thinks their child is capable of this? 
None that I know of. And so, and the parent's going to be the one that sees them in their most vulnerable state. And then you have brothers, sisters, family members. They're not going to want to believe that their family member, someone they're kin to, their blood is is capable of something like that. So we get we you know, give ourselves cognitive dissonance. We we see the indicators and we make excuses for why those indicators are there that and and why they're not really indicators. Um, and I don't know how to address that because you have to get people basically willing to. I, I don't. Snitch is really the only word that comes on Hell their yeah. family. <laughs> no, no, no stitches over here. But <laughs> yeah, and and it's something that, you know. This you know, snitch is kind of a a bad word in a lot of places. Nobody wants to be that. Nobody wants to do that. And you definitely don't want to label someone as violent that truly isn't. They just have, you know, they're just the quiet person, or they're just the the, the depressed person. But they're never going to go to that point. So. I'm not sure how to address that part. Yeah, I, I think, and that's probably really hard on the parent. Be like, my kid's gonna shoot the school up. Like, you know, really saying it out loud and thinking about it, it's like you, you really, I understand. You really wouldn't think that. So, I, you, you, that's that's really hard because no parent wants to think their child's gonna be a mass murder. You know. No, most most people think their child is is sweet and innocent. Know. It was well, well better than they are. I know um, I was raised by my grandparents. They thought I was uh, much better than I actually was. You know, um, so you know, most most people have a a a, a very you know happy view of their children. They, they don't want to think they're capable of this. And same with you know your peers. Yeah, you know, whether it's football team or in your classroom or someone in your study group, you don't want to think that person's capable of such violence. And you know, hindsight is always something that people have to live with. I'm not gonna lie, I'd snitch. It was him. That's right there. I, I would snitch because he might try to kill me too. So definitely not. Definitely not. It's gonna happen. So I wonder what the type of influence is going on that is that detrimental where an uprising and shootings is happening. And what I don't like is now they they used to not say the name, right? They used to not say the name and how many the person killed. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I believe that was something that uh, that was uh, always talked about, but I'm I'm not sure you can get a a media uh, individual where uh, you know they get paid based on how much you watch and yeah, it's trash. And people people like it or not, people are drawn and people watch what scares them more than they watch what makes them happy. Oh yeah, same, definitely. Same reason we we stare at car crashes when we're going down the road. You don't you don't stare at the person that's over there selling peaches. You sell at the person that's over there with their car crashed. No, that's that's very true. That is very true. And I and I there was a I can't remember. It's like two years we talked about this like okay, the next guy is going to want to be known, never forgotten, and he's going to try to top that number. And that's all that's going to happen. So the media tries to stop it. So, Louisa? Yeah, there have been some that have actually, you know, talked about that in, in their, their writings, their journalings that um, I can't remember specifically, but I know I've read where some of them have talked about, you know, I this is going to make me famous. No one will ever forget my name. And that's a big draw to a kid who is who feels they're a nobody. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go from a nobody to the most famous person in the country 
in a matter of 30 minutes, 10 minutes even. And that's a, that is a, that is a, an emotional roller coaster that the kid's going to really, a damaged kid might want to jump on. You know, I'm going to be this famous. We still, you know, I just spoke about the Columbine kids. Uh, that's 20 plus years from now, uh, 20 plus years ago. And they're still the, the standard bearers for when this started and how they changed things. So it's, oh, it's, yeah. they're correct when they said they wanted to always be remembered. Oh, Lord. Lordy, Lordy, Lordy. And I, I don't think you're going to put, so what happens is, as humans, we're complacent creatures. We'll put security in the schools, you know, and everything will die down, and then we'll be focused on Kim Kardashian for a little bit, and then boom, usually something happens again, and then we're like, you know, reactive to that. I think they should, I know a lot of vets are looking for work. I know a lot of people would stay in front of a school for however long and get paid a little bit just to protect children. So I, I don't, I know it's what, safety officers in schools and stuff like that, but if the person's trying to plan something, which is like 93% of the time, the person that's going to do the shooting is planning it, then they're going to know there's a safety officer usually in there. Um, like the person that shot up the, uh, the last place. Was it Nashville? I'm getting these places crazy. Nashville was, was this week, yes. Yeah. Last week. She, wasn't she going to shoot up somewhere, uh, do another shooting in October, but she knew that security would be a lot more stricter. So that I haven't seen. Um, yeah. I haven't seen if that's true, but I do know something I saw today was she had planned it and had had written a, a, a plan in her, her journal or whatever she had, um, or suicide notes. So I know she had done some preparation, and I, I want to believe she was a student there before, so she had yeah. a, a layout of the land. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, every school is going to be in a different situation there is no one size fits all when it comes to securing these um these locations i mean now she shot through the doors to gain entrance so now is every every school going to have metal doors or bulletproof glass up front well crazy it that's something that i don't know if you know the 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 trauma that that itself causes kids to go through there and think that they're not safe is something that is not helpful to us as a society either. Yeah, it's crazy. And, if I was from a different country and I came here and like, you do drills for your, your students not to get shot, I, I just couldn't comprehend it. Like, what are y'all doing over here? <laughs> what the hell? Well, that's, that's an interesting point too, because I, I was reading some other, in, in preparation for this, reading a couple of articles that I saw. And People believe, and if you ask, I'll ask you, do you believe schools are safer now than they were, say, 30 years ago? Ooh, that's a good question. Mm. Safer. You're one of the few. You know, schools now, actually, I was looking at it, and they've had a dramatic decrease in physical fights and actual you know, repetitive bullying to the point of, uh, of, of, you know, what they would call, you know, damage to the child, you know, emotional damage. And in a lot of different facets, schools are as safe as they've ever been. Really? Until you add in mass shootings. Yeah, actually, CNN had, a, had an article on it two days ago about how schools are safer than they've ever been. They also had the next article that said 
children and adults believe that schools are less safe than they've ever been. So we have a disconnect in what the data tells us, which is they're safer than they've ever been, and what we feel, which is they've never been less safe. I'm and, sure they didn't have a resource officer back then. That's one no, major contribution. Actually, you know, I, I grew up in South Carolina. We during hunting season, people would bring their their shotgun and their rifle to school, and it was in just the you know behind the seat of their truck. There's probably guns at my school most of the time, and there was no school shootings. There was no way I don't even know anybody who you know would have thought that that I so that you, I know. Do of. you think there's less there was less trauma back then? Well, from my understanding, because trauma seems like to be the number one, and there, there's more bullying there, back then. So it's like. How are these kids being affected at home or in, infused with social media? Social media wasn't that big back then. Well, uh, a conversation I was having with my seventeen-year-old uh, the other day is when I was in school, and I'm I'm forty-four. My wife is forty-five. When we left school, we actually left school. Any of the drama that happened that day wasn't something we were completely inundated with after we left school. We had chores we had our family if we might get a phone call but then the phone was in the kitchen where everyone could hear your conversation <laughs> and so we had a chance to leave the drama behind and take a break from school mm, okay. the kids now do not have that opportunity they never get to leave that drama it's they're inundated from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed with snapchat and instagram and all of these other avenues where they never leave the drama behind them. So when you get exposed to that type of, you know, anybody who says high school kids and even middle school kids aren't dramatic is not being honest with themselves. It's a very dramatic time in your life. And now you cannot, you don't have a break from it. That can't be healthy for kids psycholo psychologically. It, it oh, yeah. has to have some damaging effects. Yeah, so, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense, actually. You know, and, and I got to leave it behind. I you know if, if I made someone mad at three o'clock in the afternoon, I didn't know about it till seven o'clock the next day. Yeah. And by that time, we've had time to cool off. We've had time to 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 think about it. And maybe it wasn't even that bad. It was just something that was spur of the moment you would think it would be worse. But now it's you know, it's oh well, you're on Snapchat and everyone is talking about these two people that have beef. And so what happens? Do you think it do you think that takes it away? It, it of course it doesn't. It makes it worse. Yeah, intensifies and now they it. Yeah, it intensifies it and now they have the reputations to think about because your online reputation is tied to what happens everywhere you go. So these kids, while I I am glad personally that I didn't have a, a video phone and, and everything when <laughs> I was a child because uh, I definitely would not have been blessed with the jobs I've I've been given since then. Um <laughs> I, I really think these kids are are harmed more than they're helped by the social media situation we have. And I, I try to get my children to, you know, to put it down for a little while. And actually, you know, when uh, my son's going to hate me for telling you this, but uh, he's, you know, he's a normal kid. He gets in trouble every now and then. And when we take his phone away from him and he's missing it for a weekend or, or a few days because of something, he's, he's, is actually a different person. He doesn't have the the drama that he has a lot of the other time. He 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 gets up. He's happier. He has a smile on his face more. 
and that's just taking away the access to social media. You know, it's it's amazing the transformation he goes through in a matter of hours with being without his phone. Yeah, to be honest, so I'm in the IT world. We aren't supposed to have have these phones this this much. Like our brains aren't supposed to be tethered to our phones. Like this, like technology is is took off at an exponential rate. And I mean, we check our phones 96 times per day, probably like what once every 10 minutes or so at the minimum. So our brains shouldn't be programmed. Our phones are basically us. And that's that's what that is. And like we, you lose your phone, you, everybody goes crazy. You're up at late at night until about two o'clock in the morning. Those weirdos, you're on your phone. We we so I understand like, and their their brains aren't even developed yet. So it's like all this dopamine I'm getting from my phone, I take it away. And like you said, your your son is good to go from there. Yeah, and I was I was telling them, you know, um. I saw a a, a psychologist uh, do a TED talk on uh, the 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 serotonin and the dopamine and all the, how it reacts to to phones and you know when that that ding you get for a text message or a Snapchat message or or something like that it actually has the same dopamine increase as a bump of cocaine and you're like wow that I understand why that is so addictive but. You know, so so these kids are are literally have addiction to that to that device that they carry around, and it's not a good healthy thing. Yeah. No. So, what would you want to leave everybody with, just to just to get their minds jogging and them thinking, possibly they, so they can contribute to spotting out mashings? I mean, we already went over that like probably like twice. Call it how you see it. But what would you want everybody to know? Well, I would, um, I, I would think that humanity is always better when you put humans first. Um, I, I would, I think we would have less of of those type of incidents and and just you know negative interactions at all if if people would actually you know check on their fellow human. You know, when you see someone that you know and they seem sad, you know, talk to them. See what you can help. You know, bring the humanity back uh, to a nation that doesn't seem to have a lot of humanity left, especially in, after COVID and the political situations we've dealt with the last several years. There's a lot of people who aren't as you know aren't as friendly to their neighbors as they used to be, and I think something like that is is how we're going to actually identify these people who need help. Is actually going and talking to them. You know, if you're if you're a teacher, you know, talk to that child who you think, you know, has a hard home life. If uh, if you're 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 a kid and you have friends that you know go through you know go through it when they get home, they they maybe don't have a great home life. You know, take that person and and talk to them and try to try to find out how you can help, even if it's just to give them a, you know, a friendly ear to talk to. That's you know, you know, I think uh, most psychologists and psychiatrists would tell you that they spend 90% of the time listening. They don't solve problems. They just listen to yours. And when you talk about it, you know, you're going to to feel better. I, I remember um, my oldest son, he's now 26. We adopted him when he was almost 13. And one of the first psychologists or psychiatrists that we took him to um, told us a valuable lesson that said, 
for children especially, if they don't talk it out, they will act it out. Meaning, you know, if they don't talk out their trauma, they'll act out their trauma. And that's something mm. that I have really seen in in the children I have dealt with, either either from law enforcement or my own children, is if you can't get these kids talking, then you you're never going to have a chance to get them um, to to get through the difficult situations they're dealing with. And all of these people are are hurt in some way. Um, it doesn't excuse their actions, and but. In order to stop it, I think I think we have to stop it way before it gets to the the planning and the acquiring a gun and making a hit list phase. I think we have to stop it at the yeah. at the human phase when the interaction and we teach our kids to you know to to stop being divisive and and love people again, like well, you know, like like you know, like the Bible tells us to you know, love each other. I think that's that's the the first thing and the most and the thing that's going to have the most impact is actually just getting back out there and talking to people again. And, you know, and talking about the Bible and, th- and that quote I was trying to do about 30, 32 minutes ago, a rock in the bad hands killed Abel, a rock in good hands killed Goliath. It's not about the rock. So again, it's back to mental health and hopefully we can come to some conclusion soon. So more people are dying. It's, it's crazy out here. Yeah, and um, it's it's something that um, that I actually hate talking to my children about, but it's something that I have to as a, as a parent. I have to talk to them about those situations and and what to do, and that more than anything is is should make every parent just sad. You know, it makes you scared, it makes you hurt, but it should make you sad that the situation we're in is a as a nation that we have to actually talk to our children about this shit, this, this stuff. And, and, mm-hmm. and this, you know, this this horrible situation we're in. Yeah. And we're going to have to, we're going to have to, yeah. I think I know somebody's on an email me. Somebody emailed me about the last one about guns. He, they wanted to do a nice civil debate, but this one, we were trying to just get the word out there and hopefully people will spot somebody or correct it or say something to somebody else to prevent this from happening hopefully we can get uh you and your wife on because you said she's uh in psychology she majored in it she she majored in psychology but uh, she was in law enforcement for a long time same as i was and uh she's a lot smarter than i am uh okay. she she really gets this stuff okay well hopefully i can get her on sometime i appreciate it you joining me on enlighten me oh please and uh and uh i've been uh, i was i'm honored that you asked me and anything else I could, you know, bring to the table. I'm more than happy to, to help. Appreciate it, brother. And uh, that's enlightening me guys. Thanks again for listening, tuning in. God bless. We're signing out.